and find Proverbs 12 with me. Proverbs 12. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it says Proverbs 18.21. We spent this morning um, thinking about the power of death that we have in our tongue. The power we have to decimate, to destroy, to tear down, to ruin, and even to kill both ourselves as well as others. Uh, the tongue is a, is a powerful thing. And, and if, if that's all that the Bible said about the power of the tongue, if the only sermons we could make out of the Bible's message on the tongue was the one we did this morning, the fiery power of it, um, then maybe the wisest thing we could ever do would be to cut off our tongues and we could just avoid all that bad stuff. Except that's not the only thing the Bible in Proverbs says about the tongue. Um, yes, with it we have the power to destroy but also with it, we have the power to give life. And so we're not just thinking about never speaking again. We're thinking about utilizing our instrument of speech in ways that are wise and life-giving. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 25, 11. Like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, well-chosen words are incredibly valuable and beautiful, much more than we give them credit for. The genuine compliment that encourages someone to keep doing praiseworthy things, what value do you attach to that word of encouragement? The caring correction that nudges someone in the right direction, a sermon that helps you understand God's word and helps you serve God better, wise advice we get that helps us navigate a complicated world or a complicated situation, or how about just true words about God and his gospel that leads us to salvation? All of these are words And they equip us, and they serve us, and they bless us. Have you considered the principal way that God saves us today, and teaches us today, and comforts us today, and does all the things God's trying to do today primarily, you know how God does that? He does that through words. He does that through the written word of Scripture, and He does that through the word of our brethren who apply that Scripture and speak to us words of life. So we go from five ways about how to burn everything down with the tongue this morning to now four ways... We can build something beautiful with our tongue. Four ways in which you can utilize our tongue in ways that give life and bless. So number one, we can use our tongues to speak truth. This is Proverbs 12 and verse 17. Proverbs 12 and verse 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. We talked about the false witness this morning. This, this proverb, though, includes the positive alternative to the false witness. The false witness determines what he's going to say based on the benefits that accrues to him or the ways in which it might hurt his enemy. But the man of line one is someone who simply reports the truth. His allegiance is not to himself. It's not to his own pocketbook. It's not to the advantage it gains him. It's not to some grudge he's nursing. His allegiance is to truth and justice. Those things are ends in and of themselves. And and in fact, the word here for speak in in the proverb, the word speak, most literally, if we translate it very literally, would be breathe. Would be breathe. Whoever breathes out the truth gives honest evidence. And the idea there of breathing truth is to say that truth telling is not something we, you know, we stick a tack in our shoe and then we step on it whenever we need to tell the truth. The idea is it comes as natural to us as breathing. It's simply what we're programmed to do, is to speak truth. And it would be totally out of character 
to bear false witness. Just a, just a couple of verses later, Proverbs 12 and verse 19, Proverbs 12 and verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is, is, is for a moment, is but for a moment. In the end, the truth will out. The truth always wins. The lying tongue may get away with it, may advance its own selfish interest for a while, but the advantage only lasts for, a, for the blink of an eye. At the end of Ecclesiastes, we're told God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so we can breathe out lies now, but we only ensure that we'll be exposed as liars sooner or later. On the other hand, this proverb says, we can breathe out truth now, and we can be assured that those truthful lips will remain intact in eternity, because in eternity, truth is the only thing anyone will be speaking. And so we'll bring those truthful lips with us. You know, everyone knows they should tell the truth. We all pay lip service to that. You don't have to be especially religious to be able to say it's good to tell the truth and it's bad to lie. But of course, the real test of truth speaking is not that we say we agree with it, not that we say we're for it. The real test is whether or not we do it. And whether or not we do it when it's our advantage, whether or not it's our advantage to do so. Psalm 15 says, God honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Do you tell the truth, even if it costs you? Even if to tell the truth is going to cost you money. Even if you might have to pay out on a bad, bad deal that, that's not advantageous to you. Even if you might have to give more money to the IRS because you're truthful about your income. Do you tell the truth? Even if it might hurt you in, in getting a promotion. Even if you'll be mocked for saying true things. Even, are you willing to tell the truth? Even if telling the truth is going to cast you in an unflattering light. You know what confession is at its core? Confessing our sins. You know what we're doing? All we're doing is simply speaking the truth about our own sin. That's all it is. It's not some fancy highfalutin thing. When we confess, all we do is tell the truth about ourselves and our sin. Are you willing to tell the truth then? is a question. Are you willing to tell the truth, even if it makes you unpopular, living in a world in which people call good evil and evil good all the time? If we call evil evil, it might make us unpopular. Are we still willing to tell the truth? With our tongues, we can speak the truth. Number two, with our tongues, we can calm tension. This is Psalm 15 and verse 1. Psalm 15 and verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. And so our words can do one of two things here. We can either stir things up or we can calm them down. We can with our mouth commend knowledge. We can raise the level of discourse. We can demonstrate the spirit of Christ. Or with our tongues, we can pour out folly and inflame the situation and lower the level of discourse and promote a spirit of division. Now, I can't control how everyone else reacts to a given situation. I can't control how everyone else uses their tongue, but I can control what I do. And I can either throw more fuel on the fire or help extinguish the fire with my tongue. In, uh, in verse 4 of the same chapter, 15 in verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You catch the image of verse 1? 
or, the, or of line one, with our tongue, we can begin to recreate the life and peace of the Garden of Eden in our relationship. Here is the tree of life suddenly. We're back to Edenic bliss whenever we use our tongue in this way. Or it says we can break down and destroy everything and everyone in our path, like the lies and the, the blame games of Genesis 3. It all depends on how we use our tongue. And I think there's something to be said in this proverb especially about, about our words are not just about the actual words we say, the content of, of, our, of, our, uh, of our utterances. There's also something here about the tone and the spirit we say those words with. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. It's not about the content of our words so much, but the way in which we say those words. You know, as a, as a preacher, I find myself in a, in a good amount of conversations about religious things with all kinds of people. Um, it's just sort of a, I, it's not even me bringing up something. Often it's just my vocation is revealed and people generally have thoughts. They have an idea they want to bounce off me. They have something, some, some opinion they want to express. There's, there's an interesting phenomenon in these discussions I've, I've had over the years. Um, the phenomenon is that the determining factor in whether that conversation is going to be pleasant or painful, um, the determining factor is not always how much doctrinally me and this other person have in common. That isn't always going to say whether this is going to be a pleasant or a painful conversation. The determining factor is always going to be the spirit that is within me and within them the spirit we bring to that conversation, really regardless of the amount of agreement that we have. So, for example, the most contentious conversations I have ever been a part of about religious things, not here, by the way, I've not had a lot of contentious conversations with you, but, but the most contentious conversations I've been a part of have been with brethren with whom I agree about nearly every major religious or Bible question. You go down the list of the things we assent to, and we pretty much agree on almost everything. And among people like that, I have been, been in some very contentious, voices-raised, relationship-chilling conversations um, with brethren over some very minor difference of meaning about some verse that doesn't have huge ramifications. And I was, as I say that, I don't absolve myself from blame that often I have raised to their, their level of sort of contention. And then on the other hand, I've got a very good friend who is, uh, who is Catholic, um, and not just uh, a nominal Catholic, but a very devoted and, and, uh, and smart, learned guy, with whom, of course, I, I disagree about lots of stuff, and we never soft-sell the things that we disagree about. Um, we both like talking about the Bible and religious things. I've never hidden what I believe from him, and he's never hidden what he believes from me. But I've got to say, because he embodies the positive side of these Proverbs, because he has a good spirit about him, um, and because he helps bring that out of me, our conversations are always constructive and congenial, and we disagree about a lot. And on the other hand, there's brethren I agree with about everything. The difference is the spirit we bring to these conversations. We make a decision every time we open our mouths in disagreement. We're making a decision. Will I speak in such a way that inflames the situation or calms it? And we are going to make a decision. We are going to go one of those two paths. We can talk about things. We can even disagree about things without using harsh words and without using harsh tones. And certainly we should be able to do it without calling names 
without caricaturing the other person's position, being able to listen and to speak calmly. We do not have to choose between either speaking the truth or speaking in love. We are not asked to make a decision. Either I speak the truth and rub your nose in it, or I speak nice and gentle and soft sell what the truth says. You know what Ephesians 4.15 says? We are to speak the truth in love. Not speak the truth or speak in love, but speak the truth in love. And so those are our first two points. With our words, we are to speak truth and we are to calm tension, and we can do both at the same time. Insofar as depends on us, we will be at peace with all men. Number three, with our tongues we can dispense wisdom. This is Psalm 18 and verse 4. Psalm 18 and verse 4. Psalm 18 and verse 4. 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. What this is describing is a thoughtful and wise person who has spent years thinking about and living out wisdom. He is, well, the image really here is he is a deep person. He's deep. There is a lot there. And so when he talks, what you're getting is sort of the bubbling up of something from deep within his fountain, that bubbling up of the fountain. There's something underneath there to draw on, and what you're seeing is sort of the the outworking of that deep wisdom he has in his heart. When When this person speaks, they speak words which understand your situation. If they're giving you advice, they understand your situation, and they're able to shed light on your situation. He doesn't just have a bunch of trite and canned cliches. There is deep wisdom that is thought deeply about God's word. And there is a bubbling forth from that wisdom, that wisdom that is deep within his own heart. So part of what this proverb applying it is saying is that we need to find people like this and we need to listen to people like this. We need to seek out wise counsel and then we need to listen to it. And not just listen to it if they told us just, just what we wanted to hear. Not just when they told us what we were already going to do. We need to listen to it, especially when it contradicts what we thought. We also, if we're going to apply this proverb, need to be people who are becoming like this, becoming the deep people whom the the wisdom sort of just bubbles up from. We need to be becoming people of depth, people of understanding, people of wisdom, people of experience. You won't get that through watching hours and hours of television each day. You won't get that through scrolling social media endlessly. You won't get that through sort of perfunctory checklist religion. You won't get that through superficial relationships. You will only get it through studying the Bible, through reading good books, through being a keen observer of the world and understanding how the world works, through being someone who embodies virtue, virtues like humility fundamentally. And you won't be that unless you're a person who has put together a long track record of faithfulness. These are the kinds of men we need to become elders. It's the kind of men we have as elders. Men who, when they talk, the rest of us tend to listen. We should. We need more men like this who will become elders. Thoughtful men with a love for God's word. Thoughtful men with a life of personal devotion. With vibrant prayer lives who can string together words of wisdom that help other people. You know, one of the most most helpful books I read early on in preaching... Uh, was a book called Preparing the Young Men to Preach by, uh, by Barry Kircherville. 
There's a couple of quotes from that book that I've really, uh, not right to say I, I wrote them down or, or memorized, I internalized them, I think. I, I really tried to take them to heart. The book, in large part, is stressing to young men that there's no magical technique for preaching. There's not just a few tricks you need to apply, and here's how you write a good sermon, here's how you be a good preacher. What he stresses often is there's, there's no shortcuts to any of this. It's only ever about personal growth and personal devotion. That's the name of the game always. And so here are two quotes from that, from that book. Number one, if you are not growing, you will certainly not help the church grow. And number two, you can't take the brethren somewhere you yourself haven't been. You can't take the brethren somewhere you yourself haven't been. If we are going to dispense wisdom with our tongues, whether we be preachers or not, if we are going to dispense wisdom with our tongues, we're going to have to go out and get it in the first place. We're going to have to be a people in constant pursuit of wisdom. There's no shortcuts to any of this. We need to be people of virtue, people of faithfulness, people of devotion, people of growth. And number four, with our tongues we can edify the brethren. This is Psalm 10 and verse 19. Psalm 10 and verse 19. Sometimes we get not just one little isolated verse. Sometimes we get a string of verses on the same theme. Uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Real people of wisdom and righteousness, we are told, are known in one way by their valuable words, verse 20. Words which nourish many, verse 21. Now, the first place God does his work on us is always inside our hearts. But of course, as our hearts are transformed, our words are going to quickly follow suit and are going to expose what's going on inside our hearts. As Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And so as one man says, think of it. As you search out the wisdom of God and as he nourishes your soul and his truth, the very words you speak, though few in number, verse 19, those words become precious to those around you, verse 20, because they find through, they find through them their souls being shepherded, fed, protected, and nourished, verse 21. What a high privilege what an awesome responsibility. As God works on us, this says. We learn when not to talk, verse 19, and we learn how to speak valuable things to people, verses 20 and 21. This is uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. <clears throat> 12:25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. To the one full of anxiety, we are told, a good word, a word fitly spoken at just the right time can be exactly what they need. Have you been the recipient of a word like this proverb? Your heart filled with anxiety and someone comes and says just the right thing at just the right time. I have been the recipient of that many times. Maybe it would be helpful if I just told you some of those good words my own anxious heart has gotten. Maybe no context is needed. Here are some of the good words in my kind of own paraphrase. Here's one. It's hard and thankless now, but what you're doing is important. And that's an edifying word. 
This is a difficult situation, Drew, but your experience is only going to help you grow and further help you equip others. That's a good word. Or how about this one? When you're tallying up all your troubles, don't forget to count your blessings too. All good words. Psalm 15, or sorry, Proverbs 15 and verse 23. Proverbs 15 and verse 23. Fifteen twenty-three. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. And so it's about the joy and the goodness of having the right word spoken to you at the right time. So there is, first of all here, uh, something about the correctness of the response here, an apt answer. That is, the right piece of wisdom was dispensed. The right words, truthful words, were spoken But line two says something else. Line two says the timing of those words is just as important as the content of the words. So we have here the phrase in season, words spoken in season. Uh, This is, of course, drawing on farming, right? So it's not just about planting the right seed in the right soil, as important as those are. It's about planting the right seed in the right soil at the right time of year is kind of important. If you plant your crop during an ice storm, Or if you wait to harvest your bumper crop, everything's gone great, but if you wait to harvest until after all the fruit has rotted, what good is that? It's not just about the right content, the right seed and the right soil. It's also about the right time. The point is, it's not always enough just to dispense correct information. Sometimes this is a reminder us kind of thick-headed men need, I think. When and how you speak can be just as important as what you speak. So here's just a very obvious illustration. I could prepare a sermon on hell that is 100% accurate, biblically true, every last one, every last word I speak substantiated by Scripture. I could prepare a sermon on hell that is 100% biblical, but the funeral of a dear and faithful brother would not be the time to preach it, would it? Not in season. Wisdom knows not only what to say, but also how and when to say it. This is Proverbs 16 and verse 21. We get here another string of verses that uh, fit well together. Proverbs 16, verse 21. 16, 21. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. These are about the importance of speaking sweet, gracious words. Now, sweet words without truth, these words would be destructive and evil. Flattery would be an example of sweet speech that is not truthful speech. And that's not what this is about. But that doesn't mean that that sweet and gracious speech never has value. These Proverbs, of course, have a concern for the truth of our words. You've got in verse 21 discernment in our words. You've got verse 22 good sense. You've got in, in verse 23 judicious in our words. All about the content, the truth value of our words. But at the same time, they stress that for our good sense to be received well, verse 21, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Verse 24, gracious words 
like a honeycomb. That we can employ our words in a way that is both true and winsome. Again, a false dilemma to say either to speak truth or to speak winsomely. Nonsense. We can do both at the same time. We should be trying to do both at the same time. Our words can be both substantial and sweet at the same time. We even have modern proverbs about this. We kind of understand how this works. You can catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. It's about sweetness being an effective approach. Or a good coach. A good coach knows when to be strong with a player. You know, get your act together, Nelson. What's wrong with you? Sometimes that approach is called for, but sometimes a good coach knows another approach is called for. Son, is everything okay? We need to be discerning, and we need to understand the power of softness, the power of sweetness. So as we wrap up, let me just give you a couple of uh, parting, parting tasks that we need to attend to as we study the Psalms. Number one is the task to guard our mouth, to guard our mouth. Let me look at a couple more Proverbs. This is uh, Proverbs 10 and verse 31. <clears throat> Proverbs 10 and verse 31. 10.31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. So we've taken in all these passages today about, about good and bad uses of the tongue. Now what we need is to have the outcome of both of these ways driven home to us. We can let God shape our hearts and minds so that we can then bring forth wisdom from our tongue. Or we can say, God, forget you, and we can do what we want, and we can talk how we want, and we can invite disaster on ourselves in the process. Getting our tongues under control, these Proverbs say, is of eternal significance. It concerns your relationship with God, the way you speak to other people. This is Proverbs 21 and verse 23. Proverbs 21 and verse 23. 21-23. Whoever keeps his mouth, 21-23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. If you can keep your tongue safe, you can keep yourself safe. Watch your mouth. It'll keep you out of trouble. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in a prayer that's spoken in Psalm 141. It goes like this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. As James says, the tongue is a fire. I want you to think about that image for a little bit. The tongue is a fire. What it means to treat our tongue as a fire. Fire really is a valuable and great thing when it is under control, isn't it? A fire can keep you warm. A fire can cook your food. A fire can ward off predators. A fire can facilitate camaraderie. When we tell stories over a campfire, fire is a wonderful thing, except the moment it's not. The moment it gets out of control, the moment it escapes from the boundaries, it will burn everything down and you cannot put it back. There are no takebacks once the fire becomes wild. And so it is, James would say, with our words. Guard your mouth. Understand the power you have with each word that comes out of it. And number two is the task to guard your ears. Proverbs 17 and verse 4 is the final proverb we'll look at. Proverbs 17 and verse 4. <clears throat> 17 and verse 4. 
17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Now that's interesting. Someone is called a liar not because of what they say, but because of what they willingly hear. We bear as much responsibility, in a sense, for what we hear, through what we encourage through listening, as the person who does the speaking. We can bear as much responsibility for what we hear as for what we say. For example, it takes two people to gossip, doesn't it? You can't gossip to a wall. You know, it's one person it takes to say, hey, want to hear something about so-and-so, and it takes another person to lean in and say, yeah. It takes two people to flatter. Yes, it takes one to praise disingenuously, but it also takes another so thirsty for compliments that they, that they fall over themselves to believe the insincere compliment. And so my character isn't just revealed in what I say. My character is also revealed in what I tolerate others saying. The kinds of talking I like to listen to says as much about me as the, talking, the kind of talking that I do. And so, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Now, I feel, I feel wrong ending on that negative note. This morning was supposed to be the negative point. So to be more positive, let's keep thinking about about what our listening says about us. Doesn't it also take two to give advice? You can't just give advice to a wall. It takes two people to give advice. Yes, one to give it, and another to take that advice to heart and implement it if the advice is going to do any good. Doesn't it take two to encourage? Yes, one to give encouragement, but it also takes another to keep pressing on in response to the encouragement. And doesn't it take two to preach? One to speak truth from God's word, and another to hear that truth and resolve to live out that truth. And I pray that's what we've been doing today. God help this church to be a place full of people whose speech is seasoned with salt. People who, when they speak, give grace to all that we hear, to all who hear us, whose words never destroy or set fire to things, but always edify and beautify. And so maybe there's someone here that needs to respond to these life-giving words of God and you want to respond humbly and to give your life over to him, to confess with your mouth life-giving words, to be baptized into Christ. Confess your sins, perhaps, to tell the truth about yourself, and so find healing. If that's your need, come forward now as we stand and sing. Are they one?